Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is Morgan. Today, I'm going to walk you through how my mind works on something really important to me and something apparently very important to you because I get a lot of questions about this. Educating kids and passing on important information that could help improve the future of the country. Okay, so how to actually do it. Solutions. Really, this is all about cultivating grateful hearts and minds in our little ones, right? So to do this, I'm going to do a fun thing. I'm going to walk you through how... I would go about certain important topics as lessons. So I'm kind of like showing you how my mind works on this. I really love working through these kind of problems and coming up with lesson plans or pathways to really bring a child's mind through the whole concept. And so I'm not going to go super detailed on this, but I'm going to at least give you the high level stuff. So that being said, let's get into it. Of course, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with MyPillow is launching the MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Now, nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. The MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow and now with a brand new fabric that's made with temperature-regulating thread. The MyPillow 2.0 is the softest, smoothest, coolest pillow you'll ever own. For my exclusive listeners, the MyPillow 2.0 is buy one, get one free with promo code MORGAN. Its temperature-regulating technology is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee. Go to MyPillow.com, use promo code MORGAN. That's MyPillow.com, promo code MORGAN. Thank you very much. Okay, and so before we get into the topic, I actually just wanted to do a little PSA that, okay, so this is coming out on a Friday, Next Friday, you guys, my last episode of the podcast. Now, I don't know what the future holds, but last episode of the podcast. And that's a happy thing because we're kind of reprioritizing how Morgan spends her time and what Morgan's focusing on. You know what I'm saying? So I'm really excited and I want to finish out strong by doing my favorite topics, a.k.a. we're going to talk about kids and education on this one because it's just my favorite little thing to talk about. Now, to start out, the topic in general, I figured I could answer one of the other questions that I got, and that was a question about what are my favorite time frames of history to learn about. Now, for me, I have a few. Okay, this is not a one one word answer. Let's see. I love biblical history. I find it fascinating. I watch documentaries on this stuff, walking through the house with like a basket of laundry in my hands all the time. If Brian is over and he walks in the room and I'm like cooking something or whatever, that is what is playing. And I wonder sometimes I'm like, maybe he thinks I'm an oddball, but maybe he thinks it's cute. Who knows? Okay. But it's just me. And so there's always going to be some strange documentary playing of like Catholics versus Christians in the Middle Ages. What went wrong or something like that? Or or Muslims versus Christians in the Second Holy War. You know, I just, you never know. I just love that stuff. The next thing, I am obsessed with the history of Russia and Catherine the Great. I could say a lot, but I'm just going to move on because I, I just, that's it. Of course, next one is the American Revolution. And then, of course, communism. Those two are kind of obvious. But I also, this is something, my dad and I always watch documentaries about the world wars growing up. And the more I become skeptical of the global, how do I say this? Of the global 
influences that we see these days and the propaganda, the manipulation, the more I find myself interested in taking another look, taking a little looksy-backsy at the world wars. What was I taught? What was I not taught? What do I need to find out? Hmm. Things that Adult Morgan is now looking back on. So I love looking at that. And then, of course, if you've read The Age of Entitlement, you would know that that book is really about the 60s, 70s, and beyond. So America, after experiencing the impact of the policies and the social movements of that time, and wow, that is a doozy. Um, So if you haven't really looked into that time period, I encourage you to start by reading Age of Entitlement by Christopher Caldwell. And then on top of that, I, I don't know how to explain this one, but my final you know, favorite core subject, I guess you could say, of history is really like the origin of things, the invention of things. I am fascinated by that stuff. For example, one time I became obsessed with the creation of sourdough bread because it is difficult to make, okay? And you're telling me that Morgan Zeggers cannot figure out how to make a successful-ish, you know, super successful, I would say. I can't make a super successful loaf of sourdough bread yet. It's mediocre. It's difficult, okay? It's a scientific thing. And then, of course, Ballerina Farms thing is like, it's super easy to do. It's super impossible to kill sourdough starter. And then I'm over here murdering it, okay? Her little tablet says that it's impossible to kill it, and I have murdered it how many times? So bottom line is, it's a scientific thing where the bacteria and the the water and the flour and everything, it's a mixture, it's a scientific combination, and you got to get it just right, and the temperature and all that stuff. You're telling me. That thousands of years ago, people just randomly figured out that you can mix these ingredients together and it would make a bacteria and then it would rise and then it would be baked in an oven and taste yummy. Does anybody else go, what the heck? So I had a phase where I was obsessed with learning how people invented bread and it turns out sourdough really is that first bread. And long story short, the assumed invention of sourdough is that, hey, people had tiny houses. The kitchen was basically the biggest part. In that was this oven slash fireplace situation where people would cook. For the most part, people would eat porridge, you know, like wheat mushed up with water. And it was this substance that people would eat every meal. Not exactly nutritious, but the theory is that somebody left a bowl of porridge out by a hot oven or in the kitchen area. And it was just such a hot room that eventually it turned into some sort of bread thing and then also kind of cooked. And from then on, people just started to perfect the recipe and it became sourdough bread. So I think that that's really fascinating. And the fact that I haven't really figured it out yet is disappointing. The next question, who the heck, (laughs) I'm sorry I'm saying this, who the heck thought, you know what we should do? We should milk this cow and drink it. First of all, that's an interesting question, right? And then who thought, and it could just not be a cow. I get that we can milk and make dairy things from other other animals. But who looked at the animal and said, we should try that? And then who said, we should store it. And after it sours, we should mix it with things or even just mix it and then strain it and then use the soured material as other products to consume. Like, who the heck invented all of the different dairy products? How did we come up with that? (sighs) I haven't really gotten to the answer of that one yet. But the third one is spices. I recently went on a little journey of 
figuring out who the heck invented spices. Because again, spices are just plants, dried up, crushed up, or even just put on as whole, and then they make things taste in different ways. And who the heck said, you know what? We're going to just try putting different plants on top of this stuff and then it's going to taste good. Well, it turns out that's not what happened. It turns out the the flavor of the plants isn't like the reason why people did it. They didn't do it to make food taste good. And I feel bad because I'm giving the Morgan summary on this. Basically, food used to go bad. Meat used to go bad. And the the makeup of certain plants actually made it so that the food didn't go bad. It was more of it was used for a preservative. And so people would coat meat to store it they would coat it with spices and it was not to spice the food it was to preserve it and make it last longer and then because in hotter areas you you know had meat go bad faster you needed to put on more spice and so our stomachs became used to or at least human stomachs in hotter areas became more used to spicier food that's actually why people have different palates in different areas because they're over time we've evolved to be interested in spicier food if that's really what our ancestors ate. And then like people look at the diets in Europe and they aren't exactly flavorful and it's it's really just a situation of evolution and time passing. Uh, so I thought that was quite fascinating. And bringing a, a curious mind into those questions leads you down paths of of education that you never really thought would be interesting or useful and now you actually know so much more. So I'm personally glad that I have this strange little thought process over everything that I see. And that itself has made the invention of things into one of my favorite little categories of history. Also, before we move on to the next section, I just want to do a little tidbit here. If you guys are interested in going to Young Women's Leadership Summit, which is the really awesome conference for young girls, like college age and under, I think you can buy tickets if you're a little older. I'm sorry if I'm wrong on this. It's in Dallas, Texas. It's in June. It's my favorite event by Turning Point USA. My favorite one. So if you haven't yet, get your ticket with code MORGAN. You can get a big discount. It's with code MORGAN, uh, tpusa.com. Go to the events tab and use code MORGAN. I don't know what the discount is right now because it kind of changes the closer we get to the event. But I encourage you to get the ticket sooner than later because the discount decreases as we get closer to the event. All right. So if you want to go, go. It's my favorite event and I'm pretty excited. Okay. So to provide some context of why I think this discussion is so important, I want to I want to answer a different question first. I get a lot of questions about, you know, hey, Morgan, I found out a product I really like isn't made in America or it's made in China or it's made in some foreign country. And I feel really upset by this. What do you think? And, you know, I have a few thoughts on it. I mean, I run a I run a nonprofit where we interview people that escaped communist countries. I've interviewed people that have literally been tortured and used as slaves in a Chinese concentration camp where they were bussed into a factory that was made next to the camp because communist China incentivizes companies to build their factories next to the camps so that they can send the workers from the camps to the factories to work as slaves for the day and then they go back and then they get tortured and it's just a wonderful cycle, I'm sure you can imagine. That happens and I've interviewed people that have given a very emotional testimony to what that is like and you know, modern slavery is quite the thing, isn't it? Modern concentration camps. You'd think that we're kind of done with that stuff in the modern world in 2023, but unfortunately, humans just haven't gotten over some bad things yet. Now, we've got a situation of like communist China, very serious situation. We always say 
it's never going to happen again. After World War II, after the Nazi regime, we say, never again. But what do you know? Communist China is over there thriving, manipulating our youth, using concentration camps and slave labor factories and completely controlled populations surveyed with scary amounts of technology. They released COVID-19 to the world and completely got away with it. They own the president of the United States. I mean, do you want me to keep going? Not only that, but then we held the Olympics there just recently. So, you know, how we held the Olympics in Nazi Germany and then look what happened. And then we said never again. And then we just held the Olympics in communist China. So it's just weird how the circle keeps on rolling. But that it's on its own is like disgusting. If you know that a company is connected to an actual factory in communist China that is known to have the slave labor connected, it's just disturbing to me. That being said, we are America and we have had a lot of reform in our country, right? And so when we look at any products made anywhere but America, I think we're being a little too harsh because we have to understand that you know, there is a global economy. There are things that you cannot manufacture in America. I mean, and and having seen that perspective and, and talking to business owners, when you see like, hey, they just want to find a, a person to make the product. They look all over the country in America. They even maybe manufacture some of their products in America. But to actually keep up with the demand for their product, to actually keep their doors open, they cannot rely only on American manufacturing. And that's just unfortunately because of policy, because of different things in our nation, in our history, it's not possible. And so I would say give a little grace to companies that manufacture outside of the United States. It takes a little bit more discernment to understand not everything manufactured outside of America is evil. <laughs> and not only that, but like some things absolutely have to be manufactured outside because it's just not something that's really possible to be made in America in bulk. So it just takes a little discernment. Now with that, I remember I was talking to Brian and it was a little funny, but I was talking to him and I said, you know, it's just so frustrating how I want to buy something sometimes and I just think that the country is unethical or the way that the company manufactures is unethical and they don't provide transparency and I just have serious issues with it. I want to find wholesome sources. And he, Brian looked like straight at me and he was like, Morgan, our government is run by pedophiles. Okay, who are we to talk? <laughs> <laughs> and yes, okay, so that was pretty much a joke, but I mean, come on, guys, it's honestly a good point, okay? It was a good point, it was funny, and it stumped me because, oh boy, I think America has some serious flaws, and we aren't the epitome of wholesomeness. We aren't the epitome of good values or ethical production or anything, and I think, yeah, we really set the bar high in many ways. But this idea of American exceptionalism, almost I'm, I'm thinking it's propaganda at this point because we are under the threat of a tyrannical overthrow. We are in serious, serious hard times in terms of the relationship between the people and the government. And so we really don't have much room to talk, okay? And I don't mean that as some negative thing of like, yeah, now just go buy all your clothes from communist China. Go buy them from Sheen or whatever that company is. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. But I just think it's interesting, like when we remove the bubble that has been created around us, whether it was from news sources or from the education system that, you know, only teaches us some things, doesn't teach us others or whatever it may be, 
then we can kind of realize, wow, we have a lot of room to improve ourselves. And COVID-19 certainly opened my eyes to that, but it wasn't the only thing that made me all of a sudden not trust the government. I think when you learn about history and especially about the people who led us and the things that they did throughout history, it's quite humbling, isn't it? We are not exceptional in many ways. We are a hot mess, okay? And I, hot mess is like a nice thing to say compared to worse things that could be said about our political leaders and the things that we have done. As a conservative, I think it's really important that we address this and normalize this talk because aren't we the ones who believe in limited government because we know what people are capable of, what politicians are capable of, especially what unelected people in government are capable of if they aren't checked properly, if their power isn't limited in a structured way? The left is the side that wants more power in government hands. We are the side that is trying to show people, hey, it's not good to give government more power, more funds, more leniency to get away with higher authority, okay? If we are the ones that know because of history and because of even our own nation's history that we really gotta make sure the government doesn't get too much power, then we should be speaking with that narrative, especially when we're teaching the history. Because to me, that seems more in line with what we claim needs to happen in our nation with the limiting of power. Now, if you listen to the show a lot, you know that I'm all about generational solutions. I think this is a, a big picture kind of thing. This is like 40, 50 years of reform and cultural change. And all changes in culture really start with how we raise and educate children. People say politics is downstream from culture. What is culture downstream from, though? It's how we raise and educate our kids. So I wanted to give this fun little episode and give you guys an idea of how my mind is working in terms of, okay, so to bring proper discernment and a reasoning process and critical thought to looking at political issues, what would I want a child in America to be taught? Now, I don't necessarily think these topics that I'm about to go through are for young kids, but it's more important like middle school and high school age. These kids, they should be learning this stuff. They should be able to have a conversation with you about it, have a discussion with you about it. They should be in the know, okay? I know the woke term is like a left thing, but like I want my kids to be woke in the good way, okay? Awake. I want them to look at information and go, hmm. And I'm thinking of some funny things I could say right now, but I'm just going to stop while I'm ahead because maybe you guys know where I was going with that one. So before we get into this, I just want to say the these topics that I'm going to share, they aren't lessons. These are kind of kickstarters to lessons to get your mind working on how you can implement it in your own life. These are more so general topics and long-term understandings that we are trying to develop in our kids' minds. We are trying to help them develop their critical thinking and their questioning skills. And if they are taught more than just memorizing information and facts and historical dates and instead are taught about the different sides and about the context of a situation and the impact and the many impacts down the road that it's going to have, I think that's going to give them a better understanding of the world that they are entering into as they enter adulthood. So that's kind of what we're doing here. And the goal of it all is to make sure that kids know everything they are told or taught by authority or by others, because our friends can, geez, they can fall for some stuff and then spread information, especially on social media, right? 
everything that they are told or taught by others should go through their own reasoning process before they accept it. So I see this as like, how can I help my children or children in my class understand that they need to develop their own reasoning process? How can I help them develop that reasoning process? I want them to be asking certain questions whenever they're given information like, who does this benefit if this is true? Who does it hurt if this is true? Are there other sides that are going to be impacted unintentionally, but it's actually going to have a very good or bad impact on them? And so on. You know what I mean? And and that's something where Bryant watches Andy Frisella quite a lot. And so that means I now watch Andy Frisella quite a lot. <laughs> and I've got to say, it's really good. But he said something recently of like, it kills me that people aren't able in America today, in modern America, they are not able to look at the physical proof that's now proven in the Hunter Biden laptop or in the emails that say Joe Biden was paid a large amount. Hunter Biden was paid a large amount and then Joe Biden was paid a percentage of that, both large amounts from foreign nations like communist China. And now he's in the White House. And so when you receive money from large entities like that, especially large amounts of money, that means you now are influenced and controlled by those people that gave you a lot of money. That's a really basic concept. But now we have the president of the United States bought and paid for by communist China. And it's all proven. And you have millions of people in this country that don't see an issue with it. So I want to solve that kind of problem. I want to make sure that my child, okay, because I really do think it's possible for a teenager to properly understand this if they are educated in a good way and not taught to be a little sheep. I think it's possible for a teenager, a young adult, to look at that and go, wow, our, our president is bought and paid for, influenced because of payments from communist China. Because when you give someone secret money, it means that you have influence over them. Wow, strange concept. And so that's just one example. And I thought it was really cool to hear Andy Frisella, who's a really big business guy, talk about a political thing. So that's the goal. But I just want to say as well, just a little side note, this is not everything that a kid should know, right? Like this is just off the top of my head, planning for this episode. Here are some things that came to mind. So please do not be like, Morgan, you forgot this. And if I did forget something that you think is really important, please send a message and maybe I'll do like a part two. But these are, again, just things that came to mind right away. And I will also say I am a Christian. And so some of this does include the Christian twist, Christian focus. So, you know, bear with me if you're not into that. But I just wanted to include that because I do think it's important for Christian families to include. So the first thing that I would really want to make sure my young student understands is the beginning, the beginning of it all the origins of us, of humans, okay? And so for me, that would be a biblical worldview. I get it that some people don't agree with this, but for me, it would be a biblical worldview of how we got here. And it would include the start of humans, kind of like I was saying of like, how did we come up with spices in our food? How does our food taste like certain things? Because we just picked things from nature and put it in our food. How did we come to have dairy products? How did we come to be able to understand we could take plants and take their seeds and put them back in the ground and grow and then build a home there and we wouldn't have to become or we wouldn't have to be hunters and gatherers anymore. Basically the understanding and the timeline of the way we used to live, the general advances that we have made, and of course the invention of things over time. I think that's really important. And then with that as well, you can include those lessons of nature and geography and so much more. So that's really more of like, I just want them to understand the world around them and see that there is so much diversity out there and not the woke diversity, 
but diversity and also progress by the real definition of progress is in improvements in the quality of life of people in the ability for us to survive longer etc now the things that run through my head like i was saying is like how did we come up with spices who invented sourdough bread you know how did we start to cook meat all these different things i think that's really interesting and that can be incorporated more in lifestyle education it doesn't even have to be a lesson in a classroom but asking the kind of questions that deepen our understanding and appreciation of the world around us, how we got to be there, how we came to be as successful as we are in terms of like, wow, we, now we can go to the fridge and just have chilled food. Like that's a really fascinating concept because what a hundred years ago, that stuff was still being installed for the first time in people's homes, refrigerators, ice boxes. And of course, tradition and culture are so important to pass down. And so finding the origins of those things is really important. I personally love the origins of holidays and having an understanding of why do we do certain things, why do we celebrate in certain ways. I think that's a really important thing, especially when you see so much materialism around the holidays. Now, speaking of the holidays, the second topic after we move on from the beginning, and also just a side note, these are not in order. So please don't think that I'm like, okay, number one, educate your kid on this. Number two, move to lesson number two. No, no, no. These are just came into my head. The second topic for me would be faith, human nature, God, the monotheistic splits, and of course, the human nature element of things like the holy wars and the history of those things. I think it is so important for an adult and, you know, because we're teaching them when they're young, for young people that are starting to learn the world to understand that man is inherently... (laughs) going to be filled with troublesome tendencies. The whole concept is that we're sinful, that we're infallible, that we need something higher than just our human nature because our human nature tends to drive us to do not so good things. And history is the perfect proof of this, that there is some gruesome stuff that has occurred. But there's also been some gruesome stuff that's occurred because people are passionate about their God. Now, Jesus Christ The Prince of Peace, for example. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of the Holy Wars, or I don't know if you guys have heard of what happened in the Middle Ages, the medieval times, where you had Christians or Catholics, Protestants, everybody calling each other heretics, everybody killing each other over what they believed was right and holy righteousness. It's quite a, a frustrating thing to watch because when you read the Bible, I find it fascinating to me. I'm like, how can you read the Bible and then behave in a certain way? And you can look at that as like, how can you read the Bible and then cheat on your wife or something like that? But then on a bigger level, it's like, how did a leader of the medieval ages read the Bible and then go and wage a war in Jesus's name and do certain things to those innocent people? Now, understanding this takes a lot of a lot of time, right? But I think it's really, really important for us to push down because then as Christians, we can help place in our child an understanding that you really need to stick to God's word, okay? Man, humans, human nature, when we insert human nature and man into faith, into Christianity, into God's word, it's not the same anymore. It gets corrupted and it becomes more religion, right? There's a really big difference. And so that that really big lesson of human nature, we tend to corrupt things that we are involved in, whether it's faith or a government or whatever. 
You can start out like with our founders in 1776 and then they can write the constitution and all this stuff and then we can still end up with a government like we have today where it's a complete mess. Same thing with a church. You start out with something like the Bible and then you end up with a very negative, nasty, corrupted church run by man. So, you know, that's just how we tend to be. Now, back to the general topics though with faith. I think understanding, especially if you're Christian or Jewish or Muslim, really any of them, I think most people don't understand the connections between Judaism, Christianity, and the Muslim faith. I certainly didn't when I was growing up. And when I started as an adult to really understand the relationship between those three, how there's the same characters, how there's just different outcomes and different visions of what's going to happen in the future, oh boy, <laughs> that's when I started to understand just how complicated and fickle human fighting, the infighting between the different faiths, I guess you could say, really is, and how intense and passionate people are for this because they think they are right. And you have something like Jerusalem, for example. That's why you have something like the Holy Wars. They are also passionate about that small piece of land because to them it is of immense importance for different reasons. <laughs> so understanding that is a really good lesson in terms of understanding human nature. Now, tagging on to that as a Christian, I think it's really important to understand the story of Christianity, the history, and then, of course, the politics that were installed after Jesus. What does the Bible say? What does Jesus say? And then what do, what do men try to insert into Christianity and make it into a man's religion? Understanding that is really important. And then, of course, the violence that has been caused because Christians disagreed with each other. Again, what we like to turn into religion versus what the Bible actually says and what we've, you know, the atrocities that have been committed by man in the name of faith are really disturbing. And so embracing that head on and looking into how can we avoid that in our own actions in the future, how can we actually live up to the Bible's words, that's really important to me. And history is a great lesson on that. And I could go on and on about that one, but, you know, touchy subject. So we're just going to move on. Topic number three. A really important thing is for young minds to understand the political concept of individual freedom and rights and how that used to not be a thing for a very long time, okay? So in America, we were blessed with the fact that founders said our rights as human beings come from God. When you're a human being and you are put on earth, you are given rights by God. They are inalienable. Governments, man-run governments, can choose to not respect those rights, can choose to not give you protection of those rights. But the United States government, with the Constitution, with the Bill of Rights, they said, we understand rights are God-given, and this government will protect your God-given rights. We don't give you your rights. We protect those rights. There's a big difference. God gave us the rights because we're human beings that deserve human dignity and independence and freedom, you know, free will, stuff like that. For a very long time, that was a not even a concept. You know what I mean? For most of human history, you were born into your status. Government was either a monarchy or a dictatorship or a serfdom. You lived under a lord or whoever higher up controlled you and owned you. And whether you were a slave or a serf, which was basically the same thing, but in just different areas of the world, that was your life. And so the concept that you are equal with everybody else 
the concept that your rights are given to you just as a human being for existing because they aren't given to you by some government, that was really revolutionary. And the understanding of the Enlightenment, the changes that came with this time period, not just in America, but it was also, you know, even Catherine the Great in Russia was trying to implement that in her country, and she ultimately didn't do a very good job of that. Understanding and appreciating this massive change will give so much gratitude to a young mind because we could have been put on this earth at a much different time, right? But instead, here we are, absolutely blessed. Part of educating on this topic has to include the Federalists, the Federalist Papers. I'm not going to go over them because I, I have literally the podcast called Freedom Papers where we go through all the Federalist Papers for Turning Point USA. If you guys haven't listened to that yet, there's 85 of them. But needless to say, The founders, when they were trying to convince the American people to vote in favor of ratification of the U.S. Constitution, they wrote the Federalist Papers, where they explained in essay after essay that was published as an opinion article in the newspapers, the local newspapers of the voters. They basically went through all of the different situations in human history where democracy or a republic or another form of government had been attempted what they succeeded in, and then why they ultimately failed, and how the proposed Constitution was going to avoid the missteps of the past, how we learn from each instance in history, and we're going to avoid it moving forward in America's new government. So, I mean, that's a fascinating history lesson right there, because you literally get to read Alexander Hamilton and the rest of our founding fathers talk about why Rome fell, talk about why Greece fell, talk about the great republics and attempts at representative government of the past and what they learned from them. Like you're listening to our founding fathers explain what their thinking was and then why they formed our specific government. So really, really cool concept. And it definitely plays into that general lesson of, hey, we are now as human beings going to try and form governments that are rooted in individual rights. So with that, You can kind of just include the unprecedented approach of the American Revolution and how this was quite a rare thing. Other countries at the time were also attempting this. Like I said, Catherine the Great in Russia, she had a country that was completely made on a foundation of serfdom, which is slavery. When you look into the historical documents explaining how serfdom was, it was basically like the slavery that was in the time of early Americas. You were owned. There was nasty, horrible, horrible things that happened to those people. And it wasn't the enslavement of one race by another race. It was Russians enslaving Russians. And it just was a matter of if you were born as a serf, you were a serf. And that was your class. And if you were born higher up, then you were a highborn. And Catherine the Great was really influenced by these ideas of freedom, representative government, of the empowerment of individuals. And she tried to bring reform and end. Get this, she tried to end serfdom in her nation. And let's just say it didn't go very well because that's a hard thing to do. So the accomplishments of our founders, I think, are really amplified when you look at the failings of other countries as they tried to embrace freedom of the individual and weren't necessarily able to do that. But America was able to, and then of course we had the Civil War and our timeline of being able to achieve that and then move out of it is actually quite successful, even though it was long, quite successful compared to say, in Russia, where you had serfdom, an attempt to end it, a failure to end it, the violent 
revolution that brought down the monarchy and then the communist revolution because the working class that really came from the generations of serfs before them had basically had enough. And let's just say it's a very different story compared to American history and our timeline. And for that, we should be really grateful. Okay, wow. I had no idea this would go on so long, so I'm going to have to cut it and talk about this next episode. Uh, We'll talk about my fourth topic next time and, and continue this discussion. But thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate it, and I'll see you next time. We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. 